It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my pack commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Titans, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Titans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to Locked on Titans, your daily source for all Titans news and information with your host, Terry McCormick of TitanInsider.com, Greg Arias, and former Tennessee Titans All-Pro left tackle Brad Hopkins. It's Wednesday. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today, as always, on Wednesdays, our What Others Are Saying segment, Hump Day Happenings in Pro Scope. But first, guys, current news. Brad, Terry, a lot of things uh, to talk about, obviously. Not much in the current news segment as far as the Titans and moves, Terry. Uh, David Flewellen, who had been released on Tuesday, returned to the practice squad on Wednesday as after re-signing with the move that brought Mehdi Abdisma up to the uh, active roster. Yeah, it was a situation where the Titans, not knowing the status of Jarrell Casey and now Carl Clue for this week's game, decided to get some insurance on the 53-man roster by promoting Mehdi Abdismod, who actually made the original 53-man roster uh, coming out of camp, but uh, then was let go and signed to the practice squad. So now he comes back. Ellen, who cleared waivers, now comes back to the practice squad, which uh, was kind of expected in that regard. Yeah, I talked to Jarrell uh, Casey last night at the uh, Smoky Mountain event, and I told him it wasn't an option for him to be in the training room, so therefore he needed to get himself ready for this week. Kind of chuckled and laughed. And thought he was being optimistic, but for the most part, I told him it wasn't an option. Brad, you mentioned the Smoky Mountain relief effort that you were part of last night with Dolly Parton and several other uh, members of the Titans, Jarrell Casey, Taylor Lewan. Uh, obviously, that's big news for the Titans to be associated with that, and I'm told the figure is expected to be somewhere between three and four million dollars that you guys were able to raise last night to help out the uh, victims of the wildfires there uh, up in East Tennessee. Yes, sir. And the Tennessee Titans did it all by themselves. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, um, the Titans actually donated 144 thousand dollars to the Smoky Mountain Relief Effort, and obviously, given their time and answering the, uh, phones. That people were donating, which is another way for the supply back in the community, kind of kind of showing you another obvious difference in the guidance this year. Terry, did you have an opportunity to watch any of the program last night? I did not. My daughter had a basketball game, but uh, certainly a very worthwhile effort, and I certainly applaud all of those who were involved, you know, with the Titans and people in the entertainment industry. Certainly, you know, a lot of people up in the East Tennessee area hurting right now. And uh, any and all efforts to help them is certainly saluted. Now, Brad, can, can people still donate to this? Is there some kind of way? I, obviously, I know there's probably still something open, but do you have the information on that? Or where might I you direct somebody? But it's very easy to find. Um, just look under, you know, obviously when you're Google or using your search engine, uh, look under Smoky Mountain Relief, and I'm sure that, you know, something 
of a, of a Dolly, Dolly Parton icon will come up. Um, there's email addresses that you can actually send donations to. Uh, it's very simple to get involved. And, you know, just the people that we talked to last night all over the country, guys. I took calls from Houston, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, uh, obviously neighboring states that weren't even directly affected. They felt, you know, at least been on their heartstrings to kind of call and, and uh, give all that they could. So, you know, you have people like uh, Paula Dean there last night. Obviously, you mentioned some of the country music stars that were there last night who are living in and around the area that understand uh, the connection the National has to the Gatlinburg area. Obviously, Dolly Parker stuff that's her backyard, which is from. So uh, it's a very charitable effort, and obviously a great job by Dallas Martin Company to try and bring, in, bring about awareness to obviously that perfect situation. Absolutely. If uh, you have not donated and can, please do so. Go online and, and find the links to that, and uh, any help that can be given to those people would be greatly appreciated. Guys, let's move on to our What Others Are Saying segment this morning, and as usual on Wednesdays, we take uh, information from our friends over at Pro Football Focus. And Brad, this is going to be one I think that will be close to your heart again this week when we look at the Tennessee Titans numbers from the win over Denver in that the five highest graded players on offense, four of those five are offensive linemen this week. I'm going to put you on the spot quickly, guys. Who do you think was the highest graded person? I'll give you a clue. It was not one of the four offensive linemen. They ranked second, third, fourth, and fifth. Who was number one? Terry, you want to take a guess at this first? Well, I, I think I've already heard this. So I think I already know. I believe it's Charleston Fowler, the fullback, who graded out very well, even though he had a limited role and a limited number of snaps at the ballgame. Brad, you want to take that's a exactly guess? Gonna, that's, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it was. Charleston Fowler with the 90.2 is the highest graded uh, Titans player uh, for his efforts against the Broncos on Sunday. After that, center Ben Jones finished second with an 83.3. Quentin Spain, third at 82.8. And the two tackles, Taylor Lewan, 81.7, and Jack Conklin, 79.0. And, guys, they go on to talk about it in the fact that the Titans dominated the Broncos, especially in that first half with 20 minutes-plus of possession time, and they did it largely by being able to run the football. And, of course, that would speak to, Brad, the fact that, Four of the five guys there were offensive linemen. When you can control the football for 20 minutes plus of a half, that's a pretty dominating performance by an offensive line against a very good defense. Absolutely. It just means um, that you're staying on the football field. It means that you're, you probably got a better third down efficiency rate than the other team that you're going up against. And obviously, we know we reflected on that game was still two different halves because Titans definitely controlled the first half, like you mentioned, Greg, but they didn't control the second half. That was all Broncos. Just fortunately enough, the Titans were able to make plays down the back end with the kind of split by the win. But, yeah, Terry, I kind of agree with that. Most that about you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you talk about the, the play of the offensive line and what they did against Denver. Uh, pretty much a, a statement game by that offensive line, I thought, especially in the first half, like uh, you pointed out. Uh, I think in terms of going forward, I think you got to have exactly almost a carbon copy performance of that, maybe a little bit more from the passing game, but almost a carbon copy of how that offensive line played in the first half in order to defeat the Kansas City Chiefs because the Chiefs and the Broncos are built kind of similarly. Defensively, they want to get you into passing situations. They want to harass your quarterback, force him into sacks and turnovers, things like that. And the only way to combat that is to run the ball effectively against them to put yourself 
and makeable third down and just now, guys, as always, I also want to give credit to the defense and some of their numbers. I won't ask you who was the highest-ranked defensive player of the week, but I think you're probably going to be surprised, unless Terry's already heard this one as well. It was rookie cornerback LaShawn Sims grading out at an 87.4 for his effort in the game. He was the highest-ranked defender, second only to Jouston Fowler overall on the team. Then you had Brian Arakpo at 84.2, Wesley Morgan 83.1, and guys, two more cornerbacks, Bryce McCain 81.1, and Antoine uh, Valentino, they listed him as Antoine, but Valentino Blake at 79.9. So a pretty good effort from those three guys in the secondary there, even though they gave up a little over 300 yards passing as it turned out for the day. Yeah, very good performances, and we talked about it uh earlier in the week about how impressed the Sims and Blake were, especially because those were two guys that, uh, you know, Blake has struggled a lot this year, and Sims was largely untested. You didn't know what you were going to get out of him, but certainly a quality performance. I think uh, looking ahead and in terms of LaShawn Sims, if you, can, if you can build on that, Brad, then maybe that's one less draft pick or one less free agency purchase that you have to make in the offseason uh, at cornerback because everybody, I think, went in, you know, going into the offseason would say that they needed two corners, maybe even a third defensive back. But if Sims can continue to build on this uh, over the final weeks of the season, then certainly he could catapult himself into the mix of being a starter next year and maybe alleviate part of the problem that's been in the secondary. Absolutely, sir. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, anytime situations like this come up, it might be a conundrum for a first squad, but in essence, it does build depth. It also builds trust. And these guys now have the most important experience, game type of experience. Sure, you know the game plan, you know what's going in structure, what you're trying to do, but anytime you can get on the football field and kind of get your feet wet and make a name for yourself, you're right. You might make a name for yourself as far as solidifying a job or at least being able to have the file on you and trust you uh, if your name is called, if the starter front of you goes down. Now, so guys, I'm sorry, Brad, go ahead. Oh, that was it. Okay. On the other hand, Jason McCourty, he struggled in the game against Denver, gave up nine receptions. Brad, you've been there. You know how it is, life in the NFL. Jason getting up in years a little bit. Is this an aberration, or is this maybe we're starting to see Jason slide just a little bit in his physical abilities as a player as he's gotten older? Yeah, I mean, it happens, but we don't want to start thinking that every time, you know, the numbers start – going south is directly related to age. You know, I just think that, you know, in a lot of instances, guys like him who have been pretty savvy throughout their career can reinvent themselves. I played alongside a guy that played 19 years. You know, people most of them say, when you reach your teens, you're old. But he found a way in Bruce Matthews to kind of reinvent himself and stay a step ahead of the game. So it's just a matter of simple adjustments here or there, whether it's, you know, taking care of your body in a different way or making sure you get your rest and, and doing more things to protect yourself, then you'll play longer. But for the most part, it's just one of the situations where the numbers are kind of reflective of how the, the year is gone for them defensively. Brad, let me, let me throw this out there at you. And this is something that's been brought up occasionally before. But, you know, Jason McCourty has one more year remaining on his contract, and it remains to be since a pretty high cap number. I think it's over $7 million. But if they're able to rework that and he, and he agrees to stick around for less, provided they want to keep him, uh, could you see him now being at a point in his career, and you, and you, you mentioned Bruce Matthews, who 
played all up and down the offensive line. I think he, you know, began life as a guard, became a tackle, became a center, became a guard again, that sort of thing. But could you see Jason McCourty maybe his role in one sense maybe being lessened, but in another maybe maybe say, okay, it's time for you to be a nickelback or it's time for you to be a strong safety, that sort of thing, in order to keep the experience and the savvy that he has on board but not put him in, in situations maybe where he could be exposed as much because maybe he's lost a step. That's very smart, Terry. It's almost very baseball-esque. Um, when you look at some DHs that were obviously in the defensive lineup, you know, say Bobby can't play first anymore because, you know, whatever, he's getting up there in age. But he's got, still got a very useful bat. Um, same, same thing with A-Rod. You know, he's not necessarily a guy that can control the elbow, but he's a guy that has caught that to be a leader on the team. So Jason Forty. You know, definitely being a guy that if he had to reinvent himself by moving to say safety or something like that, or even you know restructuring his contract to make it more uh, uh, team friendly so that they can get guys signed and he can stick around. I definitely see a guy that's been on the roster that long and, and who has entrenched himself in the community as Jason McCarty has, who continue to do those things, you know, and continue to do whatever it takes for him to continue to be a part of the team. Particularly when you start to see growth, since that make for him to you know basically birth this team. One that we're seeing now laying the foundation, you know, all of a sudden leave. That'd be, that'd be kind of Guys, let's move on to our Hump Day Happening segment now. And as we do that, there have been a lot of people with a lot of opinions about Thursday night football, some good, some bad. Richard Sherman, the controversial at times, well-spoken, quoted regularly, cornerback of the uh, Seattle Seahawks, had some pretty interesting comments about Thursday night football in which he called it a poop fest. Guys, your thoughts on Richard Sherman's comments and Thursday night football as a whole in the NFL? Well, I think uh, Richard Sherman certainly laid it out there and uh, didn't mince any words about it. I think uh, you know a lot of the players, they don't like Thursday night football on the front end simply because they think you know in one regard it's a safety issue, their bodies don't have enough time to recover from having played on a Sunday. There's only a three-day break before you're playing again. But uh, I do think on the flip side of that, you know, the players will certainly take that extra three days that comes with playing on a Thursday night and not playing again until the next Sunday. So there is a little bit of a trade-off, but players being creatures of habit that you know, like they are, I think they probably would prefer just to go Sunday to Sunday, and then, you know, maybe mix in a Monday night so that there's only, you know, a one-day changeover in terms of extra time or short time. Yeah, Terry, you're speaking like you're someone who's been around this game for a long time and that understands the players because it is kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a uh, counterproductive move when you look at changing up the schedule to where guys that, you know, need a full six, six days of, you know, rehab and treatment and things and, and film work to be able to get back from one week to the next, obviously that being cut short sometimes, it, it has an effect not only your body, but obviously your development too. And I'm not sitting here poo-pooing it like Richard Sherman is, but I do understand the difficulties in that, you know, say like he's talking about, you know, guys dealing with an injury, something that he's battled with all year, he'll never be above, say, 60 70%. I mean, it's going to affect how well he plays. It's going to affect his bottom line. It's going to affect a lot of things because you're screwing with the schedule and not allowing him at least – of 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 more complimentary time to adjust his body to you know that schedule. So while you're talking about building in 
you know, bye weeks, things of that nature, it still doesn't help, like, you know, the short week and what can happen after that short week if you don't go into it already being 100%. My opinion, guys, just to throw it in at the end of this, is that while uh, there is a positive of having the 10-day window after playing on a Thursday night, I think there's many more negatives to it from a player's standpoint than there are that one positive. Yes, it does give you a little bit extra time on the backside, but as you guys have so well uh, stated and pointed out, the, the things on the front side could make it worse. And if you go in short rest, beat up, banged up, get beat up, banged up even more, that 10 days may not be enough time to recover, and you may, as a player, sustain an injury that might keep you out even longer than that. So I kind of agree with Sherman, not necessarily as strongly to, to use that comment, but uh, I think Thursday night football needs to go away. Let's move on to our pro scope, scope segment, guys, and I want to get you, Brad, first to comment on this because Terry and I talked on the Tuesday edition about the firing of Jeff Fisher with the Rams. I know you know Jeff well, obviously, having played for him. We're going to take it a little bit of a different direction today with this and talk about perhaps some of the people that might be considered candidates to replace Jeff as the head coach of the Rams? You know, um, there are a lot of sexy, attractive names. Jim Harbaugh's name's come up. Um, David Shaw from Stanford's name has come up. Uh, Pete Carroll's name has come up. Uh, even John Gruden's name has come up. And, and I'll stop right there because that's the one that I thought was the most attractive hire because when we listen to John Gruden on the call, we still hear the passion. We still hear the articulation of a coach, someone that really wants to get involved in if you look at the situation that L.A. presents itself as far as, you know, brand-new stadium, second-largest media market in the country, uh, the chance to develop a young quarterback like Jared Goff and, you know, be stars for, for years to come, that's the kind of platform or the kind of challenge that entices a guy of that magnitude. And I think it would, be, it would be better for the L.A. Rams if, in fact, they did have a, a coach that was that magnifying. That way they could avoid issues like what come up with, um, with Eric Dickerson. To where, you know, obviously Jeff Fisher might have underestimated the power um, of Eric Dickerson in that community and how, you know, being at ends with somebody that has been so beloved and, you know, is kind of preaching the same thing that the media and the fans are, are preaching. You know, it's an uphill battle, one of which he couldn't win. So there are a lot of people out there that can fill those shoes. We'll just see which direction Stan Kroenke goes. Yeah, one of the other things that's going to be interesting in this regard and yes, you know, Jeff Fisher got an extension and then was fired. You know, they gave no guarantees that general manager Les Snead is going to stay on board as well. So there could be a complete house cleaning by Stan Kroenke uh, with the Rams this offseason. If that's the case, then you may hire, they may have be, wind up hiring a general manager first, letting that guy choose the coach. That said, you know, it's LA and you're back in LA for the first time in 20 years. Uh, and I think, you know, when people looked at it on the on the surface, most people thought Jeff Fisher would be a pretty good fit out there because, you know, Jeff was a pretty media-savvy guy. Granted, it was in small markets like here and in St. Louis. But uh, things really began to unravel on him pretty quickly. So with a big media market out there, I don't think I want to hire some young gun that hasn't been around the block if I'm the Rams. I want to hire somebody that can deal with the media. I want to hire somebody that is okay with being in the spotlight, that's okay with the Jack Nicholsons and the, you know, Denzel Washingtons of the world, you know, wanting to hang out and, and be part of the scene because it's L.A. and because it's cool. I think you've got to have a guy who is a football guy first, 
but also knows how to handle the situation and maybe has some big market experience. I don't think I want a first-time coordinator or somebody that's been a small market head coach if I can if I can get away from that. Absolutely. That's a great point, Terry. And, Brad, of the guys that you named, if I were Cronky, the two top guys from that group, I think, would be Jim Harbaugh and John Gruden. Not necessarily in that order, but those are certainly two guys that – get it. They're good with the media. Both of them have had success in the NFL. And to Terry's point, both those guys would be able to come in. And I don't think LA would be too big of a spotlight for either one of those gentlemen in in that sense. Agreed. Now, as for Jeff Fisher, what's his future hold at this point? He's 58 years old. He probably does not want to simply just go off into the sunset and let this be the end of things. I'm pretty sure, Brad, that he would like to find something else to do in the NFL. Do you think he'll want to come back as a coordinator? Is he perhaps looking at television, uh, maybe a job in the NFL as far as working for the league itself? What do you think the future holds for Jeff Fisher? That's a great question. I don't necessarily see me John Gruden being a – in the booth kind of guys. Now he does have a personality, but the, the game that's played in the media is not one that Jeff Fisher likes to play. And Terry, you know what I'm talking about. So I don't see him being a booth guy. Um, the coordinator, I don't know, being someone's assistant, Jeff hasn't been an assistant in almost 20 years, like you said. So yeah, that's going to be an interesting situation itself. You know, would he be comfortable kind of, you know, delegating his role to one of, of less stature that he's used to, you know? Um, but then again, you know, a fresh start, a new environment, you know, not having those crosshairs on your back and having to make all the decisions, that might be a welcome sight at this point for a guy that, you know, obviously has been around for a long time. So it's obviously going to be a young team, a team that obviously needs someone like a rock star of Jeff Fisher's caliber to come in and really, you know, change some things. But I don't know if those opportunities have yet presented themselves, but I'm sure that they're right around the corner because you know, like I know, Terry, you know, jobs are short-lived in the NFL. Yeah, they are. You know, it, it, it wouldn't shock me, you know, I know that, you know, we know that Jeff's kind of a coaching lifer, but it wouldn't shock me to see him ride off into the sunset at least for a while and just go up to his cabin in Montana and, you know, do some hunting and fishing and those sorts of things that he likes to do and travel, spend some time with his family or, you know, just kind of get away from it. I mean, you've you got to remember, football has consumed his life for, you know, he's 58 years old. And the NFL and football have consumed his life now for 30 years. And, you know, maybe he's, maybe he wants a break from it. He got one break in 2011, kind of recharged the batteries, then, you know, took over the, the Rams head coach. I think, you know, maybe it's time now that he just kind of pulls away from it a little bit. Maybe re-enters a little later on, but maybe he just kind of pulls away and sits out for a couple of years to kind of see what goes on and, and kind of, watch the wheel spin without him being involved absolutely guys that's some great stuff there but it's that time again time for our final thoughts brad your final thought on this wednesday edition seven and five feels also good right now i think that obviously a road win against the Kansas City chiefs it's going to be a daunting task but think about what the implications of that win i think that the titans would finally be recognized as a team to be reckoned with in the afc uh, there's definitely an opportunity there, especially with how the Titans have been controlling the pace and even limiting their mistakes. So I want to continue to see this improvement and uh, the confidence will grow uh, once they start doing that. Can you imagine 8-5? and five? No one probably not to get 8-5 for this team. I think it would be a phenomenal mark 
one that they can build on. Terry? Yeah, Brad, I'm going to piggyback off of that. You know, the fact that, uh, you know, this team has become a surprising contender. I think when, you know, the year started, most of us said if this team could win six to seven ball games, that uh, it would be a banner season, you know, great improvement, that sort of thing. Uh, well, they're there. And, you know, they've got three games left on the, on the schedule. And if they can get things done in those three games, the team could make the playoffs. They could go worst to first uh, in terms of uh, reaching the playoffs just a year after being the worst team in the league and having the first pick in the draft. I, I think, you know, when you start handing out accolades, if this team continues to move, then I think you got to start giving serious consideration to John Robinson as executive of the year and Mike Pilarkey as coach of the year. That's something we would have never dreamed of uh, back in April and May when uh, the off-season program was just getting started and this team was coming off two terrible seasons. My final thought, guys, I'm going to give you one more stat as we go away on this Wednesday edition. The people at uh, Pro Football Outsiders are odds makers, statisticians. Uh, They project things like odds to win the division, and right now they have the Tennessee Titans favored to win the AFC South with a 51% margin. Now, that's not a lot. That's not a very big stretch, uh, considering 50-50 is, is even, so 51. But if you're looking for something to hold on to, the Titans do have that. They're being projected as a 51% chance of winning the division. I don't know how good those numbers are, guys, when you look at the NFL and try to project something like that with all of the variables that can go in with three games remaining. But I'll say this. I honestly think if the Tennessee Titans can go into uh, into uh, Kansas City, excuse me, on Sunday and get a win on the road over a very good Chiefs team that's playing very good football right now, this division is theirs because if they get that win, I think they will finish out, run the table, defeat Jacksonville and Houston on the way out, and be in the playoffs. A lot hinges on this Sunday, in my opinion. That's going to do it for us on this Wednesday edition. We hope you've enjoyed it. Have a great rest of the day. We'll see you again on Thursday. You are Locked On Titans, your daily Tennessee Titans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite MLB team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.